Welcome to the Disability Adventures podcast. I'm Andrea Anderson. And I'm Chip Dodd from Team Disability. Uh, hi, I'm Andrea Anderson, and I'm here with Lisa Randall and Brenda Carlson. All three of us just recently uh, did the Solo National Championships of Adventure Racing. I was a 24-hour race, and um, you know it was a lot of fun. Our last podcast was about the race as well. So Brenda and Lisa, you don't probably know this yet, but you came up a few times in our podcast um, that Chip and I did about our experience racing and mostly just sharing how great you guys are. <laughs> um, so I'm really glad to have you on. Like I um, told you this at the race, but both of, both of you inspire me, you know, Lisa, because you were way up there with the front runners and Brenda, because um, you're, you know, you're older than I am and I want to be like you someday. So, and not much older. I'm, I'm 51. Um, Brenda, you can, you can share with us what you want to um, about yourself. And in fact, let's start there. Um, Brenda, why don't you tell me about yourself and um, what's your, what's your experience with adventure racing? Well, yeah, you know my name. Um, I am going to be 63 in a couple of weeks. Um, and I've been racing since the mid nineties. Um, definitely found my love with adventure racing with a team that I'd never raced before, never even met, didn't even know what adventure racing was. And, um, went to Chicago and did this race and just fell in love with it. So mm -hmm. I, I just love doing it. Wow. So how many races would you say you've done per year since then? Well, I probably didn't do a whole lot um, when I was younger, you know, maybe a handful a year. And um, most of the races have been probably, I would say the last 10, 15 years where I've really done a couple of months almost, probably wow. averaging the other week. And like this year, I think I did five five um expedition races <laughs> yeah so you know for our calendar this year if you weren't at a race I was doing it was surprising yeah <laughs> you did almost every race that I did yeah and so have you ever tried to even count how many races that is that you've done in your lifetime <laughs> no I haven't but maybe I'll do that this winter I'll see if I can figure it out I think you should I'm really impressed by that Oh, wow. um, so Lisa, what about you? What's your experience racing and what do you want to tell us about yourself? <clears throat> well, I actually started out at uh, mountain bike racing um, back when I was 20. Um, I'm 45 now. So I started out just riding mountain bikes, racing mountain bikes. And I did that for, I don't know, about five years, made it up to the pro level, kind of got burnt out. And I just kind of jumped in an eight hour adventure race with some people who were looking for a teammate. They had lost their girl. So I just kind of jumped in. And I ever since then, I've just really enjoyed it. Um, you know, once once I did that first race and realized what it was all about, I got some of my riding buddies together and we formed a team, did some more races and then. Eventually, I teamed up with people who actually adventure raced, and you know, then the rest is history. I, I think I, from like 2005 to, I don't know, 2010, I pretty much exclusively did adventure races. I didn't really race bikes very much, and then I kind of, you know, since like 2010, it's just been a mix of trail running and adventure racing and mountain bike racing. Wow. So you also have a lot of experience. Um, and like, I did not realize you were 45. Like when I met you, I thought, oh, maybe you're in your 30s. And I that's a good thing. <laughs> she must be a lot younger than me because she's so fast. <laughs> But no, you're not that much younger than me. Um, and I find it interesting that the three of us actually qualify to be in the master's category, right? It's 45 and up. Um, and 
I, there was a conversation about this on the adventure racing discussion group about what age should be considered masters and if it's appropriate for our our sport to have 45 as a master's age. And here, Lisa, you know, you're the top female in this national race. And Brenda, you're, you know, you were up there too. I don't know. I kind of feel like this sport is, um, it relies so much on strategy and other things besides physicality that, that we have a chance in older, older years, you know? Um, and I know this is straying from what I said, we talk about, but what do you guys think about the master's age? Do you think it should stay at 45? And like Lisa, why didn't you, um, why didn't you sign up as a master? There was no money in the master's division. <laughs> was there money in the open division? There was, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I knew there was last year, but I didn't know if there was this year or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, for adventure racing, it does seem like it's an older crowd. And I've noticed it with a lot of endurance sports. I'm, I'm a race promoter, so we put on some mountain bike races. And the bulk of our participants are in the 40 to 65 age range. Like, that is the majority of our participants. So I, I think, you know, athletes are getting older and especially ad adventure racing, you know, you're seeing a lot of people who have stayed in the sport like myself for, you know, 15, 20 years. And, you know, we're just, we're getting older and it is, there is a lot of strategy involved and, you know, experience does make a difference with adventure racing. You know, you make, you make a lot of mistakes and you learn from them. <laughs> So, well, some of us make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I'm not sure you did, <laughs> but I need to ask Brenda the same question. Like, why didn't you um, do the race as, in the open division? Why did you sign up as a master? Well, you know, as I have age, especially hitting 60, I really have felt my strength go downhill. And I just knew that I wouldn't be in contention for first place in, in the open division. Um, do I wish that he would have put money for masters a little bit? That would have been nice because I mean, I'm out there working just as hard and, and all the masters were. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I just knew I couldn't compete with the younger, you know, especially Lisa. Um, I, I knew a little bit about her and her, her strength and her speed. And, you know, it, I, I, of course I like to be first, you know, I, I can't help it. And so I, I picked what was my best chance of being first. And I knew, of course, racing masters was my best chance of being first. Um, but, uh, you know, to answer your question also about age, ages for the masters, I, I really feel that it should be higher because 45, I felt nothing as far as slowing down. I felt uh, no need to back off my training, no need for more rest, no no loss of strength, no loss of anything at 45, not even at 50. Um, it started to go downhill slightly at 55, but I really, really noticed it at 60. So, you know, I think the master should be at least 55, at least, um, yeah. because because of what I've experienced um, with with aging, um, 45 is just, is still young. It really is. Well, I happen to agree with you. <laughs> uh, I did the race in the open division, not because I thought I could beat Lisa, but because Chip signed me up. <laughs> so um, I, I didn't actually, you know, weigh in on that. But also I feel like this is also a sport where it, on any given day, it could be anyone's race. You know, anyone yep. could have a bad day. Anyone, yep. you know, could even injure themselves and not be able to finish. You know, just things like that happen in our sport. Okay. Well, anyway, thanks for the aside on that conversation. But I'm also curious about um, how much experience you've had racing solo. And Lisa, why don't you start with that? So I did the Blue Ridge Adventure Race, the 24-hour version, I think back in... 2019 that was my first solo overnight kind of race um and then after that I did some shorter races I did the cauldron solo um I did uh solo nationals last year and then actually this year I did the the Chattanooga epic which was a two-day I did that one solo as well so 
the the first one I did back in 2019, I kind of had this, you know, irrational fear of, okay, well, if I do a bushwhack in the middle of the night, and this was before they gave us trackers, you know, all we had really were our cell phones. If I, so I was a little worried about, you know, going off trail into the woods by myself at night, you know, would anybody find me if something went wrong? Uh, but now I, I never even think of that stuff. Like I'm just so, I'm so comfortable now being out in the woods in the dark. I, I don't even, it, it never crosses my mind anymore. Isn't that amazing? Like I did my <laughs> first overnight race by myself last year, solo nationals last year. And I was afraid of the same thing at night in the dark, if I get lost and yeah, this race didn't even cross my mind at all. And I'll say before that race, you know, I'd been in plenty of races with teams and I wasn't afraid of the dark or anything like, so it's, it's really a, a switch when everything's all on you. Um, but so Brenda, what about you? What's your experience racing solo? I believe my first race solo was C to C five, five, six years ago, whenever that was five years ago, maybe. That was your first solo race? That was my first. Yeah. Ah, wow. <laughs> And I, I really wanted to do C2C, but all of the team spots were filled and there was one solo spot that was left and I signed up two weeks before the race. Um, and so I was a little nervous because first of all, I had never done a C2C. That was my first C2C. And I was afraid of spiders, horribly afraid of spiders. And here I'm You're just still thinking, afraid of spiders, right? <laughs> But I'm thinking these spiders are going to be everywhere and they're going to <laughs> they're going to take me away and I'm going to just die out there. But I really didn't see any, which was which was really good, which was a surprise. And I really liked racing solo. It was fun. Um, and then I did um, the cauldron solo. And then, of course, um, little O meets here and there that I would do were solo. Um, and then the solo championships, too. Um just this recent one. So that would be, I think all I did solo. Yeah. So one of my favorite things at night when I'm trekking is if you're looking at the ground and your headlamps right at the right angle, you can see a whole bunch of spider eyes. Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yep. Yep. I love that. I think it's really oh. pretty. Like it's kind of like glitter on the ground. It is. Um, yep. <laughs> but that doesn't bother you, huh? Well, I do see them, but, but, it's mostly the the shine, the, what's shining, which I don't know if it's the same thing that you see, but it's like a white spot on their back is what kind of seems like to me. And when you shine your light on them, they, they shine back at you. And that doesn't bother me. It's the big, hairy, the ones <laughs> in the face, you know, when I walk through a web, so, oh, you know, I think I hate webs almost as much as the spiders. It's just like, it's just, ah. Yeah, I think there's something wrong with you if you're not afraid of hairy spiders. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyway, um, so I'm just really wondering, like you've raced with teams before, and how did you get the experience navigating? Um, or maybe you were the navigator in your teams, but how did you learn how to navigate? And, you know, how did you get started, Lisa? Well, when I started racing, uh, the when I had kind of made a team with my mountain bike buddies, I navigated fairly poorly, um, but but it was enough to get us, you know, from the start to the finish. And then once I started racing with more experienced people, I kind of just sat back and I watched our team navigator and learned from him and just saw what he did. I went to a lot of O meets and you know just kind of taught myself you know, all that I could about navigation. I never really had anybody sit down with me and like teach me navigation. I did go through some books, you know, that kind of teach you the basics, you know, just some orienteering uh, workbook things, armchair orienteering or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so I did that, but mostly it was just O-meets and then just getting out there and then navigating with, the guys that I eventually started racing with, um, you know, we would split up the sections. Uh, like recently the team, if I've been on teams, um, we would split it up where like one, one teammate would navigate on the tracks and then I would navigate on like the bike and paddle or 
you know, vice versa, something like that. So, well, once again, I was hoping you were going to have like some like (laughs) epiphany, like insight that I could pick up on like, oh, I could, I could get better if I just did this one thing. (laughs) But it sounds like it took you kind of like me experience and then um, having other teammates. Um, But Brenda, what about you? How'd you get started navigating? And do you have any tips on how to get better? Practice, 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 (laughs) just throw yourself out there. Um, That's, and that's how I learned pretty much like Lisa, you know, I went to a lot of O meets. Um, I I was, I did horrible at my first O meet. I would see a flag. I'm like, Oh, that must be mine. I'd get out there and it wasn't even mine. I mean, it was just, it was just a nightmare. It's like, okay, I really need to use my compass. You know, this, this, I have to how to use it. And there were times I had my compass backwards. I was, you know, it took me a while to, um, just to learn, but, um, that's what I did on the first, my early years, I was on the team that I was the pace counter and the backup, um, uh, bearing person, you know, I would take the bearing and back up the lead navigator, but, um, that that's kind of how I learned just on his his heels and then um, once our team broke up I formed my own team uh, with Joe my husband <laughs> so of course I had to be the lead navigator so then I was really having to learn quickly and and I made my share of mistakes um, but you really just have to throw yourself out there don't be afraid make the mistakes learn from them and just just don't be afraid to uh, to race and, and navigate um and that's just how I did it (laughs) yeah yeah you definitely learn the most from making mistakes you 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 learn how to watch out for those same mistakes you know in future races and future omits after you've made some of those mistakes isn't that the truth like I sometimes think I've made every mistake there could could be like so (laughs) I'm gonna do great because I already learned all of the lessons but I do make a few of the same mistakes (laughs) over and over but (laughs) let's talk a little bit more specifically about this race and um you know I was looking at both of your tracks before before this meeting and you guys did not seem to have any trouble whatsoever navigating um I saw maybe one or two little things um but what what did you find in this specific race was there any challenges navigationally um, some of the area was familiar to me. So just kind of getting from point A to B, you know, moving around was pretty easy and straightforward. Um, I did think the points were, were pretty easy overall. Like they, they were pretty straightforward. I would say, uh, there wasn't any really, really tricky nav where you had to, you know, bushwhack you know, de- and make sure you stayed on the right spur and hit some tiny little knoll like a thousand feet below a road or, you know, something where you could really mess yourself up and lose a lot of time. Um, the the one issue that I had during the race was just um, there was a checkpoint that I, I, I was the second person to go to it. It was on the, the, the second trek, so the first 10 mile trek. And I guess the bag had fallen on the ground. Uh, and so I spent like an hour going up and down these two creeks, just looking all over for this bag and I, and I couldn't find it. And then I find out that it had like fallen on the ground and was kind of like buried in the leaves and someone had to hang it back up. And so it was up for the majority of the people who came through, um, but it wasn't up when I went through. So, you know, that was I was right on top of it. I just, you know, that I never saw it. But other than that, I mean, most of the points were were pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. Yeah. So um, that point, I mean, it, I think I would have freaked out. I mean, you know, you're trying to clear the course, I assume. And yeah. you said you spent an hour there looking for it. I, yeah, because I mean, I, I went up both creeks. You know, just because I did the, okay, well, if Jeff put it in the wrong place, where would Jeff put it? You know, because I didn't <laughs> see it. So that's always a good question to ask yourself is, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the race kind director. Of, that's kind of what I always do. And, you know, I, I noticed that the creek split and there was one that was kind of running 
you know, in the wrong direction, but I checked it too, just, just in case. And it was really thick in there and didn't see anything. So I went back out and then I re-verified where I was. I mean, I was pretty sure I was in the right spot to begin with. Cause like I said, it, it really, it wasn't meant to be a difficult point. Yeah. Um, and so I verified I was in the right spot. Then I went back and I did the same thing again, you know, just to make sure, you know, maybe it was tucked behind a tree or in a thicket of rhododendron. I, I just, you know, I was, I was sure I was in the right place. I was gonna, you know, make sure that I didn't see it before I left. Um, yeah. And, and but yeah. <laughs> how much more of that trek section did you have to go after that one point? That was my first point. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I was off to a great start. And I had, I had, um, it was a, it was a bummer because I had worked my way. I saw uh, Josh Forrester coming out of that point. So I had made up time on that bike and I probably was within maybe 10 minutes of him at that point, you know, before, before so going to that point. That would be even harder to walk away because you know, you're in the top and not just the top of the women. You're like in there with the top of the men, Josh and uh, Hunter and you, I think you were all, neck and neck most of the race right so that's like for first place overall I well I had lost yeah I had lost a good bit of time on the paddle to those guys um just you know I'm I wouldn't say I'm a bad paddler but I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a relaxed paddler like I I <laughs> I get it done. I had a fast boat, but I'm I'm not like the strongest paddler out there. Like if you put a guy who paddles a lot in that same boat, you know, he's going to go faster. And then getting in and out of it because it was so narrow and some of the shorelines were kind of steep and rocky, that was a challenge. So I'm not sure exactly how much time I lost on the paddle, but I know Josh was in a surf ski. So it was probably pretty, you know, for him, to him, it was pretty significant chunk yeah, of time but lost. you made up that time and you see him and then you can't yeah. find the point that would be yes. so hard to walk away from yeah it was frustrating um, for sure but then you got back to the ta is that when you found out that it it had fallen or no i think i actually would be able to count that one no i asked at the ta when i got back and i said i asked him if anybody had trouble with 21 and you know, they said no, but it was because it was hung back up right after I had gone, <laughs> gone there. So <laughs> it wasn't until like late in the race that Jeff, you know, told me what had happened. So how long did you think you were not clearing then? Did you think you wouldn't get that point or did you think you would get that point? Like, would they give it to you? I, well, when I, when they said that no one else complained about it, I just assumed that I was blind and walked right past it a half a dozen times. And, yeah. That I missed it. What a bad feeling, but so. clearly, you know, you kept on the gas and you, you, you did great, but we'll get back to the rest of the race. But I know Brenda, you are an excellent paddler and you've done a lot of paddling, haven't you? What did you think of the paddle? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I think of the pelican boats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They are terrible. <laughs> but um, yes, I I am a I'm a marathon paddler, professional paddler. Um, it's been a while since I've done a marathon, but I've always kept up my marathon or my paddling skills. So I could move the the pelican all right, but there's just a, a top hole speed on those, and and that's about all I could get. So um, I did leave my first checkpoint point out there. It was checkpoint 11 um, just because I, I just, that Pelican bolt was, was driving me crazy. And I think I got, by, by leaving that one checkpoint out, I, I did get back to the TA the same time um, Lisa was there. Um, so, so she was that much ahead of me with, with the, uh, the surf ski um, and Cliff, or uh, um, not Cliff, um, uh, white. Um, um, what's his first name? What's, oh, there was another paddler that got in behind me and he was in a, um, a, a longer kayak and he went right by me. Like I was almost standing still. And it, it was just frustrating because I know I can paddle a boat decently, but 
but yeah, I just couldn't bring a boat down there. So and, you know, I what... had a, probably a faster boat than I would have with the Pelican, but I'm not the greatest paddler and I don't even like it. So I really wish <laughs> I had <laughs> started dropping points. But Brenda, how did you determine your strategy then? I know Lisa was just going for it. She was going for all the points no matter what. And but yet you started skipping points in the second leg. Like what was your strategy overall? Um, you know, I, I tried to figure out who my competition was. And of course, it was um, you and um, and uh, Michelle and um, um, uh, my names get me Donna. bad. Donna was with us. Donna, yeah. Yeah. And so I realized that Michelle and Donna Boots dropped because I could tell I could keep watching behind me. And I realized that they dropped all the other side of the the points. So then I knew that. Um, I, I was going to pick up probably three or four more checkpoints to them. So I knew in my head, I, I was probably that much further ahead of them, but with you, I didn't know. And I figured you were probably going to clear the water because you were in a, in a, what I figured was a faster boat. So the time was running away for me too. And so when I got, after I got um, 10, I thought there's just no way I'm going to just drop 11 and just hope for the best and, um, and do, you know, do the best that I could with the rest of the checkpoints. Yeah, well, excellent strategy. Yeah, I, I thought I, I cleared all of those points and I ended up back at the TA like last, it was seven o'clock, it was dark. Uh, <laughs> but I had already gotten very lost in the first leg on the third checkpoint. Oh, <laughs> so, did you? Oh. Um, I, I knew I was coming from behind after the very first leg I was, I was coming from behind. So mm. anyway, that aside, um, what would you say is your proudest moment of the race? Either one of you, what you have something off the top of your head, Lisa? I guess just, you know, coming when I was coming into that checkpoint, that first checkpoint on the track, just, you know, seeing, seeing Josh, you know, pretty close to me and knowing that I had made up, you know, a good bit of time on the bike, you know, that was encouraging. It, you know, it made me kind of just keep pushing and yeah, you know, that was, you know, it was, it was nice to kind of see that I was still, you know, close to being in it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Brenda, what about you? What was your proudest moment? Uh, well, it, it's kind of a big, a, kind of an overall moment more or less because, you know, I had just come from worlds and doing a couple races before, before solos and and the fact that I didn't cramp up <laughs> it's just like I was surviving and and feeling like I was still doing pretty decent and um and then of course um uh finding the checkpoints without losing too much time I was really happy with that that was a proud moment just all you know all the checkpoints I could pretty much directly go to and not lose too much time on um and then of course um I guess my proudest moment would be taking first in, in the masters. Yep, definitely. Absolutely. And second female. I mean, I think that's just <laughs> all really great. Um, yeah. So is there anything you do differently? Um, I probably, well, there was one checkpoint, the last trek leg, I left one checkpoint out there and actually I went to it. It was the furthest one away. And I, I went to it. It was uh, on the, in a creek on the other side of a spur, the furthest one. I don't remember what number that was. And um, I went up the spur, looked down at the creek, and it was a long ways down. And I knew I had to go up the creek a long ways. And I'm looking at my watch, and I had four more checkpoints to get before the, the finish. And I thought, I'm going to lose too much time there. So I bailed. I mean, I was there, and I bailed on it. So what I would have done different was because I did have enough time after all, <laughs> I would have actually gone down there and got it. So that's, that's what I would have done differently. I, I would have been able to get one more checkpoint because I, I left some time on the clock. I could have gotten it. I have that same regret. And I think mm. you left less time on the clock than I did, but I had an hour and a half. At the end. And okay. I could have gotten another point, but I was not confident enough in how I had been navigating so far and then the route I'd chosen, like it just didn't, it just didn't make sense to try to get another one. Cause then I really would be cutting it too close. I should have planned my route 
to get more, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> live and learn, right? Yeah, that's what we Lisa, do. Yeah. Lisa, would you do anything differently? And how do you estimate how much time it'll take you to get back in time? Or did you ever have to play that game? You probably didn't. Um, no, I was definitely thinking about it. Um, you know, I just, I wanted to make sure that I had enough time, you know, because of that one checkpoint that had fallen on the ground or that, that I thought I wasn't going to get credit for, I felt like, okay, I need to clear the rest of it. And so I wanted to make sure that I had plenty of time to clear that last trekking section. And uh, so my regret is actually the same, the same checkpoint as Brenda, but I have a, a slightly different story. It's just, you know, navigation mistake number 5,286, like the way I had the map folded, I had all the checkpoints for that trek on one side of the map, except for that furthest away checkpoint. And so I was going through, got all the checkpoints. I got, went down, got the one in the field because I had chose to go clockwise to get all those. And once I was, once I got the one in the, the uh, clearing, I'm like, Ooh, I'm done. No more checkpoints. And so I start the big bushwhack back up to you, the, uh, the camp where the start finish was. And about, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 contour lines up, <laughs> I realized, oh crap, I didn't get that last checkpoint. And so I stood there for a while, kind of waffling. Oh, do I go back down and get, I had plenty of time. There was no, no question. Cause when I finished, I still had three hours left. Wow. And so I had plenty of time. I, Figured I would probably be okay not getting it. So I just kept, I didn't go back for it because yeah. it would have been a big energy expenditure. Um, in hindsight, I kind I don't know. I, I Now I kind of feel bad about being lazy. I should have just went back down the hill <laughs> and gotten it. And, you know, so I could have said that I cleared the course, but yeah, that one, I, I just, I had, I had gone so far up that bushwhack, you know, that I just, the thought of going all the way back down and then getting it, I just, I, I opted to not, not do it. Cause I, I figured I would be okay. Yeah. Well, man, 15 contour lines. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of things that would be going through my mind telling me that I don't need to go get that. And you probably knew you're well ahead of the rest of the women. Um, but yeah, that's that's a tough break. We've made that error of folding the map and not noticing a point until it was too... Well, we did go back and get the point, but it meant we took a really strange long route. And I, I don't even remember what race it was. But yeah, do beware of that map folding. And I think probably you do this too. But if you have time to mark out your route, then if you've got it folded, the map's folded, you can at least see where your line was going to go. So then big it arrows. alerts you. Yeah. <laughs> Use yeah. big arrows next time. Yeah. I um, think too, I mean, part of it, you know, I already thought that I had missed that checkpoint. Oh, that yeah. had fallen down. So I, in my mind, I already wasn't clearing the course. So I was like, well, what's one more checkpoint? You oh, know? that makes a big difference. <laughs> yeah. I think if you already thought you're not clearing yeah, and you couldn't possibly go back and get that. So you didn't realize till the end of the race that you were going to get credit for that one that had fallen. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can see why you did that. And yeah, you too, Brenda. I can, I, for both of you, I can understand exactly why you didn't do what you you're saying now you regret not doing. <laughs> so, and you know, um, Brenda, um, dropped four points. I dropped six points and you dropped one point. And, you know, that's, I, I really think it's cool that the women that were there represented like the full gamut of, the spectrum like there were women at the top who finished the top women at the bottom and all of us sprinkled in between even though there were essentially just six of us i think mm -hmm. there were um 30 total in the race and seven women if you count um um the one that raced with her dad so um you know there i really wish there were more women but at the same time i'm really glad that there were women like i said of all across the board and of all experience levels so 
I, I think that's pretty cool. And, um, you know, before we talk more generally about the sport, I just wanted to ask about your training too, like leading up to this specific race. What did your training look like? Um, Brenda, why don't you start that? I did not decide to do solo that solo race until I think I signed up two weeks beforehand because I, I had to see how was I feeling after Worlds? How was I feeling after the mountain bike race here in Michigan? How was I feeling after, um, actually, the night, oh, the weekend before I had already signed up? So after the mountain bike race, I need, I wanted to know how I felt. And that's when I finally decided, because I'd already been talking about doing it, but I hadn't signed up. Um, so how, my training would not have been any different. My training was the racing. Um, so I, I, I can't train anymore. I feel like I'm at my limit of training. I, I pretty much teeter between not really overtraining, but there it's getting close, you know, so, um, but I, I don't overtrain, but, uh, you know, I just, I just know my limits, um, with needing enough rest and I, I, I couldn't train anymore. So I basically, yeah, the races are, are what gets me ready for, cause I do so much racing yeah, for the I next I felt that way this year that my training was the racing. Mm. <laughs> Most of my training leading up to this race was kind of resting, which maybe that didn't serve me too well. But next year is going to be different for me. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be racing as much, and I'm going to try to um, target oh, really? my training a little differently. Oh, really? Okay. We'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> what about you, Lisa? What's your training look like, and what did it look like leading up to this race? Well, so my my A race for the year was actually the Margie Gessick duathlon. Um, Brent is probably familiar with that one. Um, it's a uh, it. Well, this year I had like 69 miles of mountain biking and 43 miles of trail running. And it's all on pretty most of it is pretty technical, you know, old school hand built single track. Um, so it's it's, it's 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 in it's in near Marquette. Marquette and Ishpeming area in Georgia. Oh, in Michigan. No, Michigan. In Michigan. Michigan. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, and that was in mid September. So I basically peaked for that race. You know, I, I spent a lot of time on the bike. I spend most of my time on the bike. You know, paddling is probably what I, it's definitely what I do the least of. I, if I have a solo race coming up, I might paddle you know, I'll paddle once a week and I'll go out for anywhere between two and, you know, four hours, depending on how long I'm going to have to paddle in the race. Um, if I don't have a solo race coming up, I usually don't paddle all that much, if at all. Um, yeah. Most of my training, like I said, is mountain biking, a lot of long rides and, you know, some trail running kind of sprinkled in there. So just leading up to the race, it was mainly just trying to, you know, keep my fitness up. I wanted to just, you know, call it a year after, after Margie, cause I had a really good result and I, it, you know, everything, I got everything that I wanted out of it. So I, I was, I was ready to be done, but I just kind of, you know, I kept, kept riding, kept running, just wasn't trying to gain fitness just at that point, just, you know, maintain what I had and not lose lose yeah. too much fitness is that race a race you have to navigate through or is it a marked course it's a marked course okay and when you say you had a good result what does that mean to you so if you do the mountain so there's a it, there there's a hundred mile ish mountain bike race and and the there's also a hundred you can also run it there's you can also do it as a duathlon if for each discipline or each, you know, type of race, if you do it within a certain time limit, you get a buckle. Oh. And these buckles are very, very difficult to get. Uh, in the mountain bike race, you have to finish the race in less than 12 hours. And no, no woman has, has gotten a buckle in the mountain bike race. So the only way that women have been able to buckle thus far is either in the 100-mile run or in the duathlon. And this was my second time doing the duathlon. I had done it in 2000 and actually it's my third time. I did it in 2019 and I buckled, but I didn't meet my goal time. I wanted to be under 20 hours. And then 
I tried it again last year and I was just under trained for it. And I ended up dropping out at like mile 90. Um, but then, and then this year I, I buckled and I hit my goal time, which I wasn't, I didn't even wear a watch during the race. Cause I was like, I just want to get the buckle. I don't care about time. I know I'm getting older and slower and everything's getting harder. And if I can just finish this, this race, I'll be happy. You know, I, I figured I could get the buckle if I just kept, kept moving and I didn't want to know, I didn't want any pressure on myself or added pressure. You know, I just, so when I was coming into the finish line, I asked a spectator what time it was. And surprisingly it was like three 15 in the morning and there were people still lining the streets and Ishpeming (laughs) cheering us on as we finished. But, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a good good result. Congratulations. Thanks. And you didn't even wear a watch. <laughs> I can't. That's the part I just can't. I can't get over. Like, how how did you pace yourself without a watch? I I didn't pace myself. I just went. Just went. What, I went with what my body would do that you know wouldn't make me feel overly nauseous or bad or you know I just if it felt good I just went with it. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's really awesome. Um. So. I'm wondering, you know, what, I don't, I don't even know quite the right way to phrase it, but what do you think has made you successful at what you, what you've done in racing and, um, and in AR? Like, is there any attribute that you think you possess that this is the thing that, um, you know, I owe my success to? Do you have any ideas on that? I mean, you know, being being fast and strong and, you know, being able to kind of earn the respect of the guys that are racing is is one thing. And just and being able and being comfortable, like taking charge, like I was the navigator, you know, the primary navigator on the team that I had, you know, raced with for the past few years and they were fine, you know, they were fine with that. Just being able to be confident enough to take charge of the situation, make decisions, you know, help your teammates out. Like you you just like you kind of have to just let go of all the traditional gender roles in adventure racing. And because, you know, everybody, regardless of how strong they are, is going to have a low point at some point, you know, even the strongest person could be on the brink of a meltdown. So you just, you just have to be able to, to manage that. And I think, um, you know, just, just being a good teammate, you know, in general and not really worrying about any of the male, female gender role stereotype kind of stuff. You know, I think, I think that's, that's kind of what it takes to, you know, be successful. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. That confidence piece and taking charge, definitely. What about you, Brenda? What What do you think you owe your success to? I first of all, I don't know if I've reached that success mark. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just, um, I don't know. Um, good navigating is huge, you know. Um, and I and I and I still make mistakes navigating, especially going to the first checkpoint on any any race. You know, it's always like. You're just like, and then, uh, but trying to slow down first checkpoint. Um, and you know, as far as a solo, but then with the team, a lot, what Lisa said, you know, one of my strategies with the team is just to try to keep moving, even though we're not fast anymore, just try to always keep moving, um, eat, move, um, in and out of those TAs as fast as we can be, um, carry weight from the, you know, from the slower people. Um, and, uh, and and just uh just work good as a teammate and and try to keep everybody lifted up and and uh keep everybody fed and and stuff like that yeah i i think you know you've already gone into like what i wanted to ask next was which is what's your advice for other racers but you know every, everything you've done to help yourself be successful is what everyone else needs to do. And mm-hmm. Brenda, you know, you're saying you don't know if you've reached that success level. Well, I'm here to tell you, you have. 
Um, and I usually think, you know, anyone who actually signs up at the start line and finishes one of these things, it's, it's, it's a growth experience for everybody, no matter what you're bringing to the table. So just getting there and doing it, you're successful right then and there. But, you know, obviously being on the podium is, is another level of success. Um, but since, you know, I'm now asking the questions slightly differently, do you have any other advice for uh, racers and, I mean, and women racers, I mean, men and women, um, we don't have to be specific about who's, advice we're, we're giving um, advice to you. But anyway, any other thoughts on advice? You know, especially for women, I, I feel like there, there's a lot of women that are just afraid to take that first step. And, and I, my advice is don't be afraid, you know, failure is okay. You know, you, you don't have to be perfect. And, and I'm not nowhere near it, you know, but the main thing is not to be so hard on yourself, allow yourself to make mistakes and um and don't be afraid just just go out there and, and do it and do the best you can and have and have fun with it um don't have such big expectations and stuff you know the main thing and i think that's what i did with the solo race i i went in with lower expectations i just wanted to have fun i mean sure i wanted to to win masters but i didn't go in with that that mentality where i was really trying to push myself and and i think that's what i've learned over the years too it's just I think I need to have more fun. I, I've tried to lower my competitiveness and most people will probably say I haven't. But <laughs> I was going to say that. Maybe I haven't on the outward, but in here I have more, you know, I, I'm not mentally, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be more relaxed mentally. Um, and, and of course I do, I think I still go out just as hard physically, but I'm not as hard on maybe cracking the whip with my teammates. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> trying to um, be more um, more of a team player instead of trying to push people. Um, and so I think that's where I've kind of backed off my competitiveness. But um, Ron Eglin might say something different. Because <laughs> I, I have been hooking up with him, racing a lot, and, and uh, just trying to push him a little more all the time. But um, being careful not to cross that line, too. Well, there is a time and place for people to be pushed too. Yes. You know, yeah. so it, you're probably doing it within the scope of reasonable, you know, like I, if that's the role on your team, yeah. then go for it, take charge, tell them what to do. Yeah. I mean, don't be too bitchy all the time, <laughs> but once yeah. in a while, you know, maybe they need that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have any other advice, Lisa, for I mean, I, I definitely agree with what Brenda said. I mean, the biggest thing for women is just, you know, take the risk. Don't don't be afraid. Don't think that you're going to be the one that slows the team down. Um, you know, being in the sport for so long, I've raced with a lot of people and all of us, you know, and, and I've raced with guys that are way, way fitter and stronger than me. You know, they can go out hard for six hours, 10 hours, but they eventually slow down. And there's been so many races where just on my own team and other teams where the women have been more steady and stable and they're the one kind of holding the team together at the end, you know, because they've just kind of budgeted their energy better and they've stayed on top of their nutrition. And I think, you know, I think if more women tried the sport, they would actually surprise themselves at what they're truly capable of. Um, I, I think, I think we're, we're good, you know, as a gender, women are good at just taking care of ourselves and others. So, you know, just, I, I, I usually see women looking less rough than the, than the guys a lot of times in, in these races. So. I, th yeah. I, I just think they need to just go for it. I completely agree. Uh, it reminds me of, you know, in the corporate world, like, I don't know where I heard this or read it, or maybe there's a study, but something how men will apply for a job without having all the credentials that, you know, the job posts for, but women won't. They'll usually w apply for jobs that they already have all the credentials and they know they can do it. I think it's a difference in um, in what you find. You know, women will want to be more sure about 
what their mm. contribution is going to be before they commit to something. Whereas men are kind of like, well, you know, I think I can do that. I'll just go ahead and see. Uh, it, it might not have any correlation, but I really think there's something to that, that, um, you know, women should take take a hint from the men in that you don't have to feel like you're a master of everything to go and enter a race. You don't have to know it all. You know, you don't have to be an expert. It's like when you apply for a job, you might not know how to do the job yet, but when you get it, they're going to teach you how to do it. Kind of, um, you know, you have to have your basics. Like I think um, mountain biking is one of those things that's um, kind of hard if you don't have at least a base level of um, how to ride a bike on a trail, you know, and I'm not talking, you don't have to get fancy with it for the shorter races, but you know, as long as you have a little bit of experience on a mountain bike, you can pretty much do an adventure race. Um, anyway. Um, so, you know, having said that, what do you think are some ways that we can get more women involved in this sport? Do you have any ideas? Well, one thing um, that's going to happen this year at the C2C, um, we actually have a, kind of like a novice category where um, a, an experienced racer is taking out a team that has never done an expedition race. Um, I'm, I'm taking out a team of two other females um, and something that they probably wouldn't have gone, obviously, on their own. But um, very, I'm very interested in helping getting the women more women started. So just, uh, just taking out some new newbies and, and working with them in an expedition style race. And the C2C is actually a perfect one to do that. It's, it's not a real hard race. Um, and it's not real long. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. That's a great idea. I think sometimes that, that one-on-one -on -one in the race setting is the best way to really hook people and to say, you know, you're not going at it alone. You're with me and I know what I'm doing, apparently, mm -hmm. you know, so that's a really great way to get people in. I think, do you have any other ideas, Lisa? I mean, just having, having sh the shorter races, I think it's, it's good now that they've, they've started allowing like all different kinds of team compositions at races um, instead of just, Instead of only three person co-ed, you know, you can there you there can be four person, two person solo. It just makes it easier for, you know, people and women to get involved. And, you know, for women who don't know anyone, they can jump into a shorter, a shorter race solo, you know, if they have the the biking and running and paddling skills. I think I think the biggest thing is the the navigation, which I think I think that's the biggest hurdle for a lot of people, um, women especially, but men too, uh, just, you know, in, in our society today, you know, we're so dependent on GPS technology. It, it seems like, you know, map reading and map and compass skills are just something that a lot of people don't have unless they're orienteers. So yeah, I think that's, I think if we had more orienteering, you know, educational things that we could do. I think that would, that would help. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, and the question isn't really just for women, like how to get more women in the sport. Of course we want more women in the sport, but we also want younger people in the sport. We want more people period in the sport. Um, so it, it's going to be a challenge, but I guess, um, the, the movie Arthur, isn't it called Arthur about the adventure racer? Arthur the King. And, yeah. Arthur the King. That's right. Hopefully that'll be a big draw, you know, and then maybe yeah. people will be interested in it and, and we'll see lots more people maybe at our orienteering events. And, um, and if you're listening and you're not, um, aware of the women of AR Facebook page, um, you should go visit that Facebook page. Um, it's a good resource and their, their goal is to get more women in the sport. And I'm an ambassador for the women of AR. So we're hoping to have more events, um, you know, across the country, um, more meetup style events, um, so that we can see if we can make a difference. Um, so, uh, we're, we're coming up on time. Um, but do you have any advice for, um, race directors? Oh, I definitely have one thought for, <laughs> for adventure race, um, promoters. When you're laying out a course, 
you know, make sure when you're placing the checkpoints, obviously not only, you know, put them in the right spot because we've definitely had times at races where they have not been in the correct spots, but if the mapping in an area is not correct or like if a trail is shown where it's not currently located or if if, if, the, if there's any part of the mapping just isn't good or if what people are going to use as an attack point isn't mapped well versus what reality is don't put a checkpoint there that would be my my biggest thing is you know use use features and locations that are mapped accurately because yes that that's one thing that always screws the good navigators because we will go right to that feature to that attack point you know a more a novice team might just kind of wander around and stumble upon a misplaced checkpoint or you know the bad mapping might not affect them as much but that's that's the one thing that seems to to really get us at races is when you know the mapping in a particular area just isn't very good and that's probably a big turnoff for newer racers too. Like if they just can't find the the point. Did you have any points like that in this race? Um, no, no. Yeah, I didn't either. I thought this race, um, everything was pretty spot on. Um, but that is, it's really a challenge. That's one of the higher level, like nav, um, challenges is when the map doesn't, doesn't, um, look like reality. And I think maybe, you could have tricky points like that, that if they were somehow indicated as a pro point or something, or, um, or even if the whole style of the race is, you know, um, some, most of the time you can do a race and you kind of get the feel for it, the style of the race director in the first few points, maybe, or at least the first couple of legs. So, you know, you kind of know, oh, this, they're all going to be tricky and they're all, you know, they're all going to be a little bit off or, you know, you just get a feel for the style. And, um, you know, I think if, if all your points are really easy to find and then there's one that's really off and terrible and maybe even misplaced, I mean, that's, it's not fair. <laughs> it's like, it's just not good. Um, anyway. So Brenda, do you have any um, advice for race directors? I don't know how feasible this is because I'm not a race director, but you know, to try to get newer people in, uh, I can remember going to some races where they actually had a family. They would call it a family race within our big race. So it was a short race, three hours maybe, and it was um, it was geared toward easier checkpoints and for family and for beginners you know we we do have one race here in michigan in the spring it, it, it it's um for strictly for beginners and um and that way they can really feel comfortable i think if, if there's more races that are easy navigation um so these beginning people beginning women and men can build their confidence on, you know, I, I think that would be great. And you would still have your other races. It wouldn't really take anything away. If you, if you had a 12 hour more advanced race, you know, just throw a three hour or four hour family race in or beginner race in. Yeah. Great idea. I think a lot of race directors do try to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so good advice. Um, so I want to know what's next for you guys. What's, what's next year look like. Um, and kind of leading into that question, what keeps you motivated? So for me, my motivation is like the next race. <laughs> uh, so um, I don't know. What have you got coming up, Lisa? So I guess the first big thing that we have um, next year is we're, I'm registered with a friend of mine, a female friend for C2C. We're racing on a two-person female team. And she's, she's kind of new to AR. Um, I brought her over to the dark side at the Oak Mountain Adventure Race this spring. And we raced as a two-person female team. And we managed to win overall. So she's she's wow. definitely fit. She's strong. Um, and she is a fast learner. So, I mean, for the... She's actually coming to... Uh, we're going to do some orienteering practice Um tomorrow and some paddling because you know she she wants to learn about all of the things and so that's going to be kind of my role for the next couple months is just you know teaching her all the 
you know, all that she needs to know. Um, Cause for Oak mountain, you know, she, she was, she was great fitness wise, but she, you know, we just kind of started racing. She just, she followed me, you know, got on the boat, followed on all the bushwhacks. You know, she didn't really do any of the nav and she didn't have a chance to really ask questions about the nav or learn anything because we were in a race situation. It was just like, go, 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 go. So for this, I mean, she, you know, she wants to be more prepared. And um, so that's, you know, that's going to be our, that's going to be my, my first big, big thing for 2024 is that C to C race with her. That's exciting. And teaching someone else something always makes you that much better at it too. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a cool opportunity. Uh, Do you have any other races yet for next year? No, I mean, just my, my daughter races mountain bikes. So a lot of it will kind of depend on her schedule. Um, You know, there's some local mountain bike races that I like to do. I feel like I've accomplished everything I, I can with the Margie Gessick. So I don't feel like I have to go up to, to Michigan and, and do that one and train for that one. Although we are still going up there because um, we've got some friends racing it, but yeah, it's, it's kind of up in the air at this point. I'm just going to go month by month and see, see how I feel. And you said you do some race promotion as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I own Mountain Goat Adventures. We put on mountain bike races and trail runs, and we have one uh, off-road duathlon that we put on. Oh, wow. Okay, so I didn't realize you did that. And so if anyone wanted to do one of your events, how would we find out about them? They could go to mountaingoatadventures.com, and there is the tentative 2024 calendar on that that first page. And if there's an event that you're interested in, you just click on the link and it will take you to the event page. All of the events are right now in Georgia. Wow. So now I'm wondering, like, how do you juggle it all? <laughs> you have, <laughs> you know, a, a kid that mountain bikes, that's really awesome. And and you have this business and, and, you're and a husband that races cars. So yeah, we're, we're busy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you must be. You look like you're handling it great. <laughs> um, so, Brenda, what's next for you? Um, we'll see to see. I already talked a bit on that, you know, getting um, getting a new team across the line and, and teaching and preparing them. Now that I'm done with solo, I can spend more time with with the, uh, the two ladies that um, will be my teammates and just getting them ready. Um, and, and, of course, we, we do want to have fun, but um but do the best we can and then um i guess mine kind of more the end of the year kind of loaded i'm uh looking to do um america's toughest race the in oregon and then um alaska uh, expedition alaska and then worlds um i really want to do worlds and uh, i don't know what is in store in between c to c and um and those three big expedition races. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm looking for in races. And uh, yeah, you were asking um, what motivates me to, to keep going and to keep racing. Well, <laughs> when you get to be 63, it's to keep rigor mortis from setting in. You know, it's like, <laughs> you've got to keep the arthritis at bay, keep, the, keep the, everything moving, keep everything lubricated. And, and of course I love to eat. So eating I love to eat so I have to race if I'm gonna eat as much as I love to eat (laughs) uh I love all of that such a great example and um I hope to do the same I think our race schedules may be pretty similar again next year we're Mm. hoping to do worlds and Alaska and sea to sea um so otherwise I'm not sure and I already told you like my motivation is usually the next race but it's also like like Brenda said, just to stave off feeling and getting old um, yeah. or older. Um, well, thank you guys for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Um, and congratulations on your finishes. You know, that's, like I said, it's just really great that you did so well. Um, and is there any last thoughts, anything I missed that you want to share? 
<laughs> no, I see heads shaking, <laughs> smiles. Blank stare. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. And um, we'll see you all later. All right. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please take a moment to leave a rating and a comment. If you have a question for the next mailbag segment, call 757-354-4795 and leave us a voicemail or a text with your name, city you are calling from, and your question. To find additional content, including the video versions of these discussions, you can search for Disability Racing on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We hope this podcast inspired you to focus on your abilities and plan your next adventure. See you on the trail.